You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. church this morning and can we please one more time can we show some appreciation for all the veterans that are part of our church and of course John for that wonderful video thank you so much Amen. Thank you, John. appreciate you sharing that. And there are a number of uh, um, veterans here at the church, a lot of people I know that we have family members that served, and we're extremely grateful uh, for all that did. And uh, I'm delighted to be back. Last weekend, I was in the UK. I was spending some time with my family. And uh, as soon as I got to England, I heard that the Beatles released a new single. I was like, have I gone back in time? That... It was great to be able to be over there. It was my mother's uh, 70th birthday, so I got to spend time with mom and my brother and sister and a whole bunch of family, and it was a, it was a really good time. Got to catch up with friends, and um, I ate a whole bunch of food that Americans find disgusting. Um, but it is good to be home. Uh, last week, I did have a chance to catch up online. Uh, my friend, Pastor Tom Zaradnik, did a great job um, sharing last week, and I've heard a lot of great feedback from everyone here at the church, so so glad that everyone was able to come and uh, be blessed by Tom. And there's also been some other great stuff that's happening. I wanted to show you a couple of pictures, just uh, if you weren't able to be a part of these things, there's some really good stuff that's been happening. Um, this is our worship night that we had. Unfortunately, I was in the UK. I was upset that I missed it, but um, by all accounts, it was a great time uh, we had together. This is right out in the lobby. Um, Luke and the team set up, and so we're able to have worship and a time of prayer, and I heard it was fantastic, so so glad that that was happening, and then also youth. Um, so this was last Wednesday. This is with our high school students. You can't quite make out, but the person that's teaching there, that's Andy Leonardo. Andy's uh, one of our elders, a great guy. Uh, Andy is a middle school counselor. So he's a middle school guidance counselor, which means that we're able to um, have Andy come and speak to the students about anxiety and worries and things. This is nothing to do with that. Um, this is a fundraiser that was happening over at the private Christian school we have over at Walka. Um, we raised a certain amount of money, and so the reward was getting to uh, spray me with silly string, and uh, I brought Esther as a human shield. This is Mr. Driscoll as part of that same fundraiser. Um, that is him covered in ice cream and whipped cream. Uh, he got turned into a, an ice cream sundae. So... Um, Thank you very much for Fred for doing that. So that's some really good stuff that's been happening here at the church. And of course, as you've heard a lot and you will hear about again, uh, we have water baptisms happening today, um, immediately after service. And I want to reiterate, I know it's been said already, but if you have not been through water baptism and you know that you know you're ready, you're ready to make that decision to follow Jesus and you know that this is a next step that's for you, if you haven't signed up, it's okay, we'll get you wet. It's okay. Um, please come see us, and we'll help talk you through the practicalities behind that. If you uh, grew up in a church tradition that baptizes babies, um, we would say that that's different than being water baptized as someone that's old enough to make that own decision. So if that's a, a church tradition that you grew up in, um, I just want to say that we would say that that's something different from what we see in the Bible where you have people going through baptism because they have made that decision to follow Jesus. So again, if uh, you want to know more, if you want to be water baptized, please, please, please don't just let that be unresolved because I'd love to be a part of... Um, baptizing a whole bunch of people today. Does that sound like a plan? Awesome. Well, the t-shirt that I have on, uh, this is the, these are the t-shirts that we give to people that go through water baptism. And on there, you'll see the words, from death to life. And these words, from death to life, it, it's not just a slogan. It's not just an empty theory. It's not wishful thinking. It's the promise from Jesus that believers all over the world can confirm is they live reality. This is the verse from John 5, 24 that uh, expands on this from Jesus. I tell you the truth, 
Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Now consider with me the the weight of that promise. Jesus is not saying that his work is to go from bad to good. He's not saying it's to go from sad to happy. He's not saying that it's going to go from okay to better. No, the promise is to go from death to life. Jesus is saying that he is the way to eternal life, that we will never be condemned for our sins. These are not small, casual things. This is massively consequential. The implications of this teaching changes everything. There is nothing more extraordinary than this. And I often wonder whether we can hear the message of Jesus so often and we can become so used to coming to church that we lose the shock and amazement that Jesus is promising the chance to go from death to life and that all who believe and put their trust in him can have eternal life, that we won't be condemned for our sins, regrets, and mistakes. And my friends, do we lose sight of the weight of this? I'll read that verse again. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Now, we're going to spend most of our time today in John chapter 6. And at this point in the life of Jesus, he has attracted a crowd that follow him. And I'll even say it's not surprising. Jesus was, among other things, a traveling teacher who taught with real authority, unlike the teachers of religious law of the day. And what he taught was profound and even shocking, especially the core of his message that he can promise eternal life and that he is the son of the living God. He has also attracted a crowd because he heals the sick and performs miracles. Jesus casts out demons, and he casts demons out of those that are suffering. He shows kindness and compassion to the poor and the needy. I'm going to read in a moment that he miraculously fed 5,000 hungry people. Considering all of this, it's not a surprise that Jesus attracted a crowd. What I do find surprising is how they react to what's happening. With all this going on, I think that we can expect that people react one way, and yet as we read the Scriptures, we find that oftentimes they act different to what we would expect. So we're going to start in John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down, and his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. And Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew where he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough food to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Now, oftentimes, a a sermon, and many sermons that I've heard on this passage, they they focus on God's ability and readiness to provide. 
But for us today, what has stood out and what I think will be helpful for us to consider is how the crowd of people that have been following Jesus and have been a part of this miracle, how do they respond and react to what's happening around them? And the title of the message, if you take your notes today, is what the crowd got wrong and the disciples got right. What the crowd got wrong and the disciples got right. And what we'll see is we continue reading through John 6. The crowd reacted to Jesus' message incorrectly. The core and the heart of Jesus' message, it hasn't changed. He's promising eternal life to all who put their faith and trust in Him. He's offering the hope of repentance. But the crowd just doesn't get it. So I've got three ways. Three ways the crowd reacted incorrectly. And there's a helpful insight for us in the rest of John 6. So let's pick up where we left off in verse 14. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they saw him feeding 5,000 people. They exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Now, in the last 20 years that I've been a Christian, I've read John 6 many times. But this verse has never stood out to me um, before I read it this week. As believers, we recognize that Jesus is king. So what's the problem? It says in verse 15, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. The people that are following him and believing his message because of his miracles, the the crowd is even showing confidence that Jesus is the Messiah, the prophet they've been waiting for. So why is Jesus not okay with them elevating him as their king? Why isn't Jesus going along with this? The first thing I would say is the three ways the crowd reacted incorrectly. Firstly, they wanted Jesus to be something he wasn't. They wanted Jesus to be something he wasn't. The crowd expected the king to rise up in rebellion against the Roman Empire. The crowd wanted a military and political leader. The crowd didn't want a Messiah who would go to the cross in public shame and disgrace. The crowd, they didn't want a king who would wash the feet of his closest followers. The crowd didn't want a king who would be a humble servant. They tried to force him into being the kind of king they wanted and the kind of king they thought they needed. They tried to force Jesus to be something he wasn't. And Jesus, he just slipped away up into the hills. He wasn't going to play along. And for you and I, we try to squeeze and mold Jesus into being the kind of king we want. Unfortunately, it's a part of human nature. I heard someone say a number of years ago that it's absolutely inevitable that we will disagree with Jesus. There's no chance that we will read the scriptures, read what Jesus taught, read about his life. There's no way to discover who Jesus is, what he taught, how he lived, and for us to easily agree with all of it. And why is this inevitable? Why is it that there's going to be these disagreements that are definitely going to happen between us and Jesus? The simple answer is, he's perfect. He's perfect, flawless, sinless, absolute perfection, and we are not. It's fair and appropriate to approach Jesus knowing that you will disagree with him on any number of things. We should read the Bible fully aware that what's taught will contradict what I think and I feel. But but a long-lasting faith will have the boldness to admit, when me and Jesus disagree, he's right and I'm wrong, and I need to change my understanding. Jesus won't adjust or morph into whatever we think he should be. He is God, I am not. He is king, but he won't be forced into being the kind of king that me, you, or anyone else want him to be. Second thing, three ways the crowd reacted incorrectly. Secondly, they prioritized the wrong things. 
Now, we'll skip over the uh, account that John gives us of Jesus walking on the water, and instead we'll pick it up in verse 22. John 6, 22, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. Now, this is a strong teaching about priorities. Essentially, Jesus tells the crowd that they could prioritize the temporal, forgettable things, but they should be driven and spending their energy on the eternal. I mean, here we're talking about Jesus feeding these people with bread and fish, but imagine the best meal that you have ever had. No matter how good it was, it doesn't last long. Just this morning, I saw an Instagram post. There's a great couple here at the church, Michael and Nicole Mastronati. And Michael posted a picture of this food, and Mike's a bit of a foodie anyway, and he wrote, this is possibly the best meal I've ever eaten. It'll be all gone this time tomorrow. The best meal, the best feast, doesn't last long. And it's this that Jesus contrasts eternity. Jesus had just miraculously fed 5,000 people It's no wonder that hungry people would come to him for more. And Jesus took the opportunity to correct their thinking. The needs and wants of today are real, and God cares, but there's a priority. This echoes what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is from Matthew 6. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. There's a priority. And unfortunately, the crowd in John 6, they didn't get it. Again, this is from verse 27, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. There's a simple thought that I find important to keep in mind. Simply put, if Jesus' teaching is true, then there's nothing more important than following him. If Jesus can indeed make a way for humanity to heal the broken relationship with God and find eternal life, there is nothing more important than that. If we believe the gospel message, if we believe that despite our brokenness, despite our sin, despite all the things that you and I have done to push God away, God, motivated by a love for humanity, loves us so much that he would take on humanity, he would become humanity by sending his son so that he would grow up, live a sinless, perfect life, he would teach about the kingdom, and he would go to the cross to be the sacrifice and pay the price that you and I could never, ever pay 
so that we can live forgiven and set free, so that we can live whole and restored in our relationship with God because all the past has been washed away, and as the Bible describes, we are now white as snow. If we believe that, my friends, there is nothing more important. There is nothing that can be more essential, more vital, and have a higher priority in our lives than that. Simply put, it is the biggest priority in our lives. And this is why I keep saying, and I plan to keep saying, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the only logical response is to follow him with everything. I've often joked that, truthfully, I only have one sermon. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the only logical response is to follow him with everything. It's the only sermon I have, but every week I use different Bible verses. My friends, I would really ask you to contemplate. If you believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, that he alone has the power and authority to forgive our sins and set us in a right relationship with God, if we believe that he is the Savior of the world and the way to eternal life, if you believe that, are your priorities lined up with what you believe? The crowd, they just wanted more bread. But Jesus invited them to lift their eyes and instead focus, spend their time and energy on the eternal things, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Three ways the crowd reacted incorrectly. Firstly, they wanted Jesus to be something he wasn't. Secondly, they prioritized the wrong things. And thirdly, they reached their limit. They reached their limit. Down to verse 47, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. It's worth pointing out, it was as strange then as it is now. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, the um, first century Roman culture, when they looked at what the early church was doing and they heard about eating flesh and drinking blood, which, of course, we would see now is what we represent in communion, is that we eat the bread and we drink from the cup that represents the flesh and the blood, and we remember all that happened on the cross and the price that was paid. They heard this, and they thought that the Christians were cannibals. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. He said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and then he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Now, if you've started following someone, and you've seen them perform miracles, and then they start talking about eating your flesh and drinking your blood, it's not surprising that people would be confused and weirded out. 
The crowd had no understanding of communion where we symbolically partake in remembering the price that Jesus paid on the cross. And this teaching just seemed strange and peculiar. It reminded me of something that happened in Bible college. If you're wondering if this has anything worthwhile to do with the message, the answer is no, but it's funny. Um, I had a roommate in college, great guy, um, and I don't know why. We used to prank each other and do fun stuff, and I don't know why I thought it was funny because in retrospect, it really wasn't funny, but I figured that he was asleep one night, and so I would just get his laundry bin and dump his dirty laundry on him, and then he'd wake up in the morning with all his dirty laundry on him, and I thought it'd be funny. In retrospect, it's not my best, but I dumped dirty laundry on him, but then he kind of woke up in the morning, and instead of like, oh my gosh, Tom, why'd you do this? You know, instead of that, he thought that he had slept walked and had put the dirty clothes on himself. This then opened up a world of possibilities of things I could do to him while he was asleep, and he would assume he was doing it to himself. So one night, I set up his desk, and I put like all his Bibles and Bible commentaries and stuff on one verse, and I started underlining, so he woke up and thought he'd been studying in his sleep. Um, I grabbed his cell phone, and I started texting people weird stuff um, in the middle of the night, and he just thought he'd been texting people while he was asleep. But where this all kind of came to a crux is I got a um, Sharpie and wrote on the mirror in our sort of adjoining bathroom, and I wrote, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he woke up in the morning, saw that, and was so freaked out. I was like, okay, we have to call this now. I have to, <laughs> I have to end the prank here. I told you this, Radaf, nothing worthwhile to do with the message. But anyway. So here are these people. They hear this teaching from Jesus. It's strange. It's unusual. It needs explanation. It needs an explanation that, in fairness, they didn't get that day. But consequently, they reached their limit. Despite seeing miracles... Despite being a part of the feeding of 5,000 people, despite having heard the story of Jesus walking on water, perhaps, despite all of this, they'd reached their limit. Now, throughout the Gospels, the 12 disciples are often shown to get it wrong, but we'll see that this is one of the instances where the 12 disciples, Jesus' closest friends and followers, they get it right. Verse 66, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. I have felt this challenge many times in the last 20 years in unexpected life circumstances when the pressure's on and bad diagnosis in the middle of a crisis when the future seems uncertain when you know you start to feel that you've just got settled and then you realize you have to start all over again those words of Jesus have repeated in my mind are you also going to leave is this your limit is this too far and I find myself echoing the sentiments of Peter where else am I going to go Where else am I going to find the words that give eternal life? Where else am I going to go to find hope? Where else am I going to find the strength to get me through this season? Where else am I going to find the wisdom to navigate whatever trial it is that I'm up against? Are you also going to leave? Is this it? Is this season of life? Is this moment of tragedy? Is this your limit? And the response from Peter is the response that I want to have every single time and I want every single believer to have. Where else am I going to go? Where else am I going to find the words of life? The decision to follow Jesus, it's the best decision that any of us could ever make. But we should know that it's a lifelong commitment. This means following Jesus when we don't understand. 
It means following Jesus when things are flat out unfair. Following Jesus in the middle of tragedy. It means following and trusting Jesus when it should have gone differently. The crowd had a limit, but the true disciples understood. They're exactly where they need to be on a good day, a bad day, and everything in between. Now, as we're thinking about eternal life in heaven, let's take a moment and read this passage from the book of Revelation, Revelation 21. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. This is a great description of eternity. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. I'm thinking back to John 6. Why did Jesus attract a crowd? With Jesus, he promised eternal life, healed the sick, and he fed 5,000 hungry people. And what is Jesus promised for eternity? Considering what we just read in the book of Revelation, what is it that Jesus promises in eternity? Firstly, that the promises are fulfilled forever. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. He promised in eternity there is no sickness and no death. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. In eternity, there's no lack. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All that the crowd was looking for, all the reasons that they had followed Jesus in the first place, all the ways they thought he could help, in eternity he does, not temporarily, but once and for all forever. The crowd followed Jesus because he promised eternal life, and in eternity his promises are fulfilled forever. The crowd followed Jesus because he healed the sick, and in eternity there is no sickness and no death at all. The crowd followed Jesus because he fed 5,000 hungry people, and in eternity there is no lack and no unmet need. This is why the message of Jesus is life-changing. This is why an eternal perspective is essential for every believer. There are three ways that we read the crowd reacted incorrectly. They wanted Jesus to be something he wasn't. They prioritized the wrong things and they reached their limit. But in contrast, here's three ways the disciples respond to Jesus. We honor Jesus for who he is. We change our priorities to match his. And we follow him through every season of life. We honor Jesus for who he is. He is sovereign. He is above it all. Jesus and Jesus alone is worthy of our praise, adoration, and loyalty. It is expected that us as imperfect people will disagree with a perfect God. But faith means accepting that I must be in the wrong and adjust accordingly. Jesus won't be edited or modified to fit my preferences. That's backwards. But me, I adjust, I change, I willingly submit to his authority. We also change our priorities to match his. If we believe that Jesus does indeed have the words of eternal life, nothing is more important. I had a professor in college 
who often talked about how he could never understand how people believed in God and yet that belief doesn't affect their lives at all. The message of Jesus is the greatest news anyone could ever hear. It changes everything. The message of Jesus has eternal consequences and is good news for anyone and everyone who responds to Jesus' invitation to follow him. My friends, there is nothing more important if we believe that Jesus' words are true then those words dictate the priorities of our lives and nothing is off limits. Whether it's new values, a new outlook, new ways of making decisions, we are living truly born again. Three ways the disciples respond to Jesus. The third thing is we follow him through every season of life. Statistically, by the age of 30, you can expect every American to have gone through some type of significant difficulty. Whether it's the loss of a loved one, a medical crisis, financial upheaval, a marital struggle. But in each and every season, his word is still true. Jesus cannot be the savior of the world on a part-time basis. I'll say that again. Jesus cannot be the savior of the world on a part-time basis. If he's the savior of the world on a good day, he's the savior of the world on a bad day. If you have ever had a moment where you've been 100% sure that you're spiritually alive because of Jesus, that this is just as true on the mountaintop as it is in the valley. Jesus asked the disciples as the crowd were abandoning him, are you going to leave also? Let's be inspired by Peter's response. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. At its essence, this message is about the shallowness of the crowd, but the depth of discipleship. Every week I personally feel the challenge of whatever it is that I get up here to share. It's impossible to spend the time that it takes to be ready for a sermon and to not feel the challenge of whether I'm being hypocritical or whether I'm willing to lead by example. So this is a call to each of us to be deeper in our relationship with God. This is a call to commit to stretch starting to be at peace with your God and I'm not. You're greater than me. You're perfect. You know what's best. This shift in trust will deepen and enrich your faith. This is difficult. It's not easy. From the passage we read in John 6, thousands of people who wanted to follow Jesus left because it was difficult. But if we set our priorities and we decide deep in our hearts that no matter what the next season may bring, my faith will remain intact and it will be the central drive of my life. No matter what mistakes I've made, no matter what's happening around me, no matter what's happening in Albany or in DC, my faith will stretch, my love for God will endure because where else am I going to go? Learning from the disciples, learning from the disciples and not the crowd will lead to a stronger relationship with God and a greater priority of eternity. One more time, that verse from John 5, 24. Jesus' words, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. The crowd wanted Jesus to be something he wasn't, but we honor Jesus for who he is. The crowd prioritized the wrong things, but we change our priorities to match his. The crowd reached their limit, but we follow Jesus through every season of life. The crowd followed Jesus because he promised eternal life and in eternity, his promises are fulfilled forever. 
The crowd followed Jesus because he healed the sick, but in eternity, there is no sickness and no death. The crowd followed Jesus because he fed 5,000 hungry people, and in eternity, there is no lack and no unmet need. And this is why I repeatedly say, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, the only logical response is to follow him with everything. Let's learn from what the crowd got wrong and the disciples got right. A few questions for you. If you're in the habit of writing these down, perhaps this week you'll have a chance to think through these things and reflect and pray and perhaps talk them over with somebody. But the first question I put to you is, how do your priorities line up with what you believe about Jesus? How do your priorities, your day-to-day life, how you make decisions, your values, how you navigate day-to-day life, how you navigate work, how your family relationships go, how do your priorities line up with what you believe about Jesus? And the second question I put to you, it's short. (laughs) It's simply this, what's your limit? What's your limit? It's very easy to shoot our hands up and say the right answer is nothing, I have no limit. Take a moment and reflect on that. What's your limit? What's your limit? We know the right answer. We know where we want to be. But let's contemplate whatever season of life may come at us. Does our faith endure? John 6, 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understand the miraculous signs. But don't be concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, those words from you, Lord, may that ring true in our heart. Lord, that the works you want from us, what matters to us is that we believe in the one you have sent. Lord, I hope that something from this morning will grab a hold of each and every believer's heart and bring a challenge, bring some encouragement. And Lord, that everyone here would hear something important from you today. Lord, we trust you with all of this. We love you, we worship you, we honor you, we glorify you. In your incredible name, amen, amen. Come on, let's spend some time to worship together.